Hola, everybody. Welcome to the Unicorn Millionaire Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Stover. I'm a non-binary Latinx money coach helping my first-gen clients become millionaires. I'm a formerly undocumented Mexican-American and currently digital nomad traveling all over the world. And I'm super excited to have you here along with me on my journey. I talk about personal finance, money mindset, working, unicorns, rainbows, you name it. We're here, we're queer, and we are going to build wealth for ourselves and our communities. Hey y'all, how's it going? I want to talk to you today about the Netflix show Griselda because I feel like there were a lot of money coaching gems that I wanted to comment on in terms of just like money mindset, money moves, uh, business, building a business, and all of the gender fuckery that I saw go on in that show. And first of all, I want to start this off by telling you that if you've thought this, you're not alone. I too am kind of annoyed that most of the shows still that revolve around Colombians have to do with narcos. Like we've seen the the narcos show. I watched it because I love the accents and I just freaking love Colombia so much. I've been there three times. And yeah, when I go to Colombia, people are sick and tired of people associating narcos with Colombia. And I feel like that's slowly changing, especially with pop stars like Maluma and Carol G just showing the vibrant culture of Colombia and just giving a different spin on it. But I do want to acknowledge that Colombia has been through a lot. They've been through a lot of drug wars, a lot of corruption in the government, and that landscape is slowly getting better. But Colombia has been through a lot. Colombians have been through a lot. I love them as a people. It's my favorite country because the people are so welcoming and they just are very, like live life to the fullest is the vibe over there people party hard because they've been through so much and i feel like they have an appreciation for life and i also love the accents so i got into the show because my wife carol g is in it and i love her i love her accents like carol g is bay and i normally don't like to watch violent shows at all i just watched the brother's son and that was very violent and i had very bad nightmares um, but I was like, I'm going to take one for the team and watch Griselda because Bay is in it and we'll see what happens. So yesterday I started watching the show and I was very nervous because it doesn't take a lot of violence for me to have bad dreams, especially now that I've been pausing drinking. My dreams have been even more vivid. Um, but I realized that there was a lot for me to analyze and reflect on and be like, oh, this is so cool because it's a a woman is the lead. So for those of y'all who don't know, I hadn't really heard of this woman before. I think I've heard her name, but I didn't know much about her, which is also why I'm watching this show. And from a nerdy historical viewpoint, I know some things have been changed and embellished, but basically it's a story about a woman who was from Medellin, Colombia, and she was married to a narco and uh, spoiler alerts galore, <laughs> by the way, she ends up shooting this husband who was abusive and made her do some really bad things. She was a former sex worker and 
yeah, she ends up killing her husband and flying out of Colombia and moving in with her friend Carmen, who had a spare bedroom the next day with her three sons. Two of them are teenagers and one of them is like 10 years old or so. And in the suitcase of one of her sons, she smuggles a kilo of cocaine, which is very high quality cocaine. And this is Miami, 1978. Like, <laughs> I there's a lot of like disco outfits and those like frilly collars and bell bottoms and that whole vibe. But the quality of the cocaine was not that good yet. But this woman, of course, she was violent. But in the show, there's the theme of like, damn, there's a woman doing this for once. She's entering the spaces normally run by men, by the male Latino machista narcos. And there was just like a lot of manifesting undertones. Like she just had never really done anything like this before. She goes straight out of the plane from Miami, has three boys to support. She's trying to buy a house because it's 1978 and people can afford to buy houses with just a little bit of cash. And, and she lands there and she just like goes in and is like, where do the narcos meet up? Let me go to the nightclub and start talking to them and let me start showing them the quality of my product, which I was like, damn, she's the OG business owner. Because as a business owner, you want to differentiate yourself from the market. You want to stand out in a different way so that people will pay attention to you. And that's exactly what she did as um, a woman. She would go to these narcos and be like, I need you to, to try this cocaine. And they blew her off. And then she was just persistent. That was the theme. She was persistent and she straight up was like, I'm not going to leave you alone until you work with me or partner with me. And she was stabbed in the back a lot, but she was also very persistent. And, and uh, I don't know anything about cocaine, but she was like, this cocaine is better quality than any of the stuff that you have here. You can cut it two or three times, not like this other stuff. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Like, is it bigger? You can cut it more, like the higher the quality, the more you can cut it with like a credit card. No sé. I don't know. <laughs> but the theme was that you can be completely new to a, a niche, but if you have an idea or a quality product, that will eventually turn heads and cause people to pay attention, especially if you don't look like the typical business owner. Like all these men had like the big hair, the disco outfits, and then walks in this housewife and they would tell her they're like you're a housewife go back home and she was like absolutely not and she would walk into the room like a boss instead of like the women on the side she would walk to the the table where the men did the deals and another thing i noticed right away was that she recruited people to help her she knew that in the narco world in medellin reputation was everything and like if you walk in a room with a bodyguard people are automatically gonna be like oh damn this person's important because they have somebody protecting them even if the bodyguard is just like a random off the street it's all about appearances so she went to a cafe and already i think subconsciously had in her mind okay i need to recruit people i need to always just be on guard and then she found 
a, a waiter, a dishwasher who had a Colombian accent and she heard him talk. He insulted the boss and she was like, are you Colombian? And he's like, yeah, I left Colombia to wash dishes in America because that's the American dream. And she's like, I got you. I, I get how it feels because she was all up in her big mansion in the narco world with her car and everything and was like sharing her bedroom with her three kids in her friend's house. So she knew that she had to recruit other like-minded people who she could trust, who shared that background. <laughs> it was just really funny how she was preparing him. She was like, I'm going to go make a deal with this narco and I need you to just look scary can you get a gun? And he's like, no. And she's just like, do you have a nice outfit? Like really just trying to prep him and have the appearances be everything just to embody that. Like I'm a boss, I have a bodyguard and you need to pay attention to me type of vibe. Even though she just got to Miami and was like sharing a room with her three kids. Um, so that was a theme that I saw a lot as a business owner. She had a unique quality product and she was persistent and she kept having that call to action that business owners need to have because at the end of the day, business owners are our own marketers. We are out here reminding people of the quality and the distinction of our product and setting that apart. And like as a business owner, I easily make one to five call to actions a day. I invite people constantly to work with me, even though not everybody signs up to work with me, I'm constantly putting out offers and reminding people of the value of my money coaching services and that I transform people's entire generational wealth building trajectory. And I just share all the different ways and remind people constantly about the value that I give. And this is what Griselda was doing. She didn't take no for an answer. And she was like, I know I have a quality product and I just need to get into the right room, talk to the right people and be persistent and show them the value of my cocaine. But there were a lot of hurdles that a lot of men don't face because she was a woman entering these male dominated spaces. She was punched in the stomach by one dude who was like, no, you can't fuck with us. And then she went and she... <laughs> clocked him with a baseball bat in the knees and demanded respect. And then th that dude had stolen her kilo of cocaine and she was like, nah, I'm gonna get it back. And she did. And then she entered um, the, the back door of the restaurant La Floridita to sell the cocaine to the dude who um, was like hiring the original guy who beat her up. So there's a lot of like power plays in there and she just like knew how to work things and despite her being a cis woman in a male dominated space in the 70s um gay podcast for everyone hey i need to watch this before netflix removes it legal issues what do you mean legal issues like it's just too sexy with all the like colombian actresses i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah the themes of differentiating your product not being persistent finding the right people and recruiting people who you can trust who understand you are themes that i've seen in this so that they can help you um 
and, and negotiating that price and not underpricing, not undercharging, which is something a lot of business owners do because they can't articulate the value of their product. And she was like, nah, this stuff I know is better than the crap that is being dealt out here on these streets. No, you're going to pay me $20,000 for this kilo. Her son is suing Netflix. I think about story rights. Oh, dang. Okay, the plot thickens. So yeah, y'all need to watch this before it's, I don't think it's going to be taken down. Netflix has hella lawyers. So we'll see how much money her son has versus a billion dollar corporation. So I'm not too worried about it. But y'all should see this, this show anyway. Um. So yeah. And speaking of going in and showing your value another theme that comes from this show is that she went in and recognized an untapped market in a realm where all of these narcos thought they had everything going that they were like we're we're gonna deliver the cocaine to this specific type of people and there was this idea that the market was overly saturated, which is another thing that I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs be like, oh, I can't be a health coach because this market is saturated or I can't start a business or I can't start a blog because so many people are already doing that. And that is completely false. What's oversaturated is the American lie, the American dream that you can like buy a house and raise a family and be debt free off a nine to five salary is gone. And so always looking for those untapped markets, especially after Griselda recruited one of her former sex worker colleagues to come help her too. That support, I think, helped her from another woman who understood her, understood her marginalized background. And then they went out, porque quería fancy, la amiga quería fancy, and they went out to this boring ass bar full of rich white people. And then Griselda had the idea of why don't we sell cocaine to these people? Because they're boring AF, they're all retired, they could use a little pizzazz in their lives. And she was like, we should sell the cocaine to these rich white people, but not directly to them because that wouldn't be classy. So let's network, let's sell the cocaine and use the dealers as like the tennis coaches that deal in the day to day with these rich white people or the aerobics instructors, and they can be the dealers so that we can get into this untapped market and basically create a whole entire new niche. And some of the drug dealers heard about this and they're still like, nah, she's a housewife. We don't care. Like those rich people aren't going to buy it. But then the other drug dealers quickly got wind of this and uh, Griselda had a yacht party where she had invited a lot of the other sex workers who worked in the brothel where she was from in Medellin. They were throwing a yacht party and they, Griselda was like, oh, we're not going to sell the cocaine to these rich white people or their tennis coach. We're going to give it away so that they're introduced to this product. And that's something business owners do every day. We're constantly giving value for free, like doing IG lives or podcasts or reminding people of the value of what we sell. And we do this months or years before people even buy too. But on this yacht party, it was interesting because one of the narcos was intimidated by this woman. He was a Latino man and he was intimidated by her and he was emasculated by her entering this untapped market of rich white people. And she had them on a boat. And then this like Latino narco tried to intimidate her, brought his gun and everything. 
But then she walked right up to him and grabbed his gun and was like, do you really want to do this in front of all these rich white people? <laughs> and the dude was like, touche. So it's an interesting dynamic um, there. And then she she used this opportunity of people watching to be like, hey, everybody, this dude wants to ruin our party. And then they all threw bottles at him and booed him. And then he went away. So yeah. And then Herman, an original supplier who she asked to come visit her from Colombia to get on in this deal, he was skeptical at first too. He was like, what do you mean you're trying to sell cocaine to rich white people in Miami? We, I don't understand. But then after he saw this, he told her, I want to be your partner. I want to help you support this cocaine business because you're scaring off the other narcos. And that means you're doing something right by differentiating yourself in the market. You're causing all the other people in, in this business to pay attention to you. And that's a sign for me to get in on this. So it's kind of like that, that FOMO and that investor brain that reminds me of how people only get in on the stock market or they feel like they should only get in on the stock market when the stock market's popping and when it's high, which is the worst time to buy. I mean, it's always a good time, especially if you're new to investing, to start yesterday with investing. But people have this idea that uh, when the stock market's too low, they're too scared to invest because what if it goes lower? But when it's high, everybody's like, dang, I should have gotten in when it was lower and they went in on it when it's doing great. So that was a theme that I saw a lot in this show, but she just stayed focused on what she wanted to do, what she needed to do, kept her eye on the prize. And then all these other men were like two steps behind her the whole time. So yeah, that like untapped market, intimidating other people in the field, which is so not what I do as a business owner. I feel like as a business owner, that's one thing I don't relate on. I'm out, not out here trying to like intimidate other money coaches or business owners. I love that as a business owner, there's just so much potential for clients. It's There's so much abundance and limitlessness that I'm not competing with money coaches. I love my money coach colleagues. We do Instagram lives together. We promote each other's programs because each money coach resonates with their clients differently. Some money coaches might resonate more with people who need help um, with couples finances because they can speak to how they almost divorced their partner, but then they started talking about money and setting up weekly budgets and, and all of that. Like I don't resonate with those people specifically. I still help hella clients improve their relationships and have better money conversations for their relationships, but I don't personally speak to those experiences. What I do is a lot of identity work. So what I've noticed, even though I've never had a healthy relationship, I've never come close to getting married or been divorced. I do attract a lot of women who are navigating that. Who am I after a divorce? Because that is something as a queer trans non-binary person that I have had to work very intentionally on as somebody who has not been supported by my biological family, who's had to find the support within myself and create my chosen family and create dynamics outside of the cishet, uh, like patriarchal, stereotypical system of a man, a wife, and three kids, a white pick a fence in a house. So outside of that. So, so yeah. We're, as a business owner, I'm not here to compete with other business owners. I'm here to lift everybody up because there's just such an abundance of other business owners, other entrepreneurs out there. 
So yeah, I'm not out here trying to like bust anybody's yacht party. Bring me on the yacht party. Let's twerk on the yacht together and promote each other's businesses is the vibe. <laughs> so I'm having a lot of fun doing this commentary. I took notes. I watched three episodes last night and then I just did some notes and I just kept writing and I was like, oh my God, I need to talk about this because this is so interesting. The parallels between the show and gender dynamics and investing and being a business owner. Y que más que puse. So the drug dealers were emasculated. Surprise, surprise. Um, ah, another thing that I wanted to mention was the Latina cop not being taken seriously in the 70s was a theme that I feel like a lot of Latina women or basically non-cishet white men, able-bodied white men can relate to today. Like not being taken seriously in the workplace. This Latina cop was a single mom and she saw herself as a detective and tried to solve a case with a big drug dealer. But the other mostly white men in the workplace, her boss did not believe her. And she's like, you know what? Y'all don't pay me enough. I'm already translating. I'm already doing this uncompensated for labor. Like, fuck y'all. Y'all don't believe me. I know who, who did this crime. Just put me on the front like a regular receptionist so I can pick my son up from soccer practice because y'all are undervaluing me. But then at the last minute, uh, she ends up being right and tags along with another Latino I don't know if he was born outside of the U.S. or probably born in the U.S. And just seeing their dynamic was very interesting because he was like, oh, we need to go bust these drug dealers because they're giving us Latinos a bad name, a bad face. So that was this interesting, like internalized racism theme that I saw, but also like we got to solve this crime and bust this drug dealer, <laughs> but also like we have to wear the burden of showing people that not all Latinos are bad type-ish. So that was a, another interesting dynamic. So many of these things I think is why I'm so excited is because this all this went down in 1978, but there were so many themes of sexism that resonate today that that's why I'm talking about this. Uh, Angela says, I love this movie recap with all the themes and tie-ins. Yes, here for it. Um, so yeah, a lot of applicable themes that have not died down. If only thing, if anything, they probably have gotten worse because back in the seventies, we had Roe versus Wade in America and that's been overturned. So yeah. Oh, and another thing I wanted to say in terms of this woman at a stereotypical nine to five job, she was not being taken seriously. And I assume that the sex workers would also not be taken seriously, but I feel like so far they've been portrayed in a pretty empowering light. It's the sex workers at the brothel in Medellin where Griselda had formerly worked at that one of her, uh, the guy that's looking for her, his henchman, he goes there to basically find out where she escaped to. And Griselda wasn't really being secretive at all. She told this dude, like, I'm in Miami over the phone. And the dude that was on her side was like, don't say where you are. And she's like, I don't care. They can find me. <laughs> Like she was ball Z. But then the the henchman that wanted to go find her to allegedly kill her goes to the brothel and starts talking to the sex workers to get that valuable information about her whereabouts. 
So we see the sex workers not being portrayed as like the, the victims, uneducated, all these stereotypical ways in which sex workers are often portrayed, but as like the ones that these narcos have to go to for information and pay them to get the information. And then Griselda ends up hiring a bunch of the sex workers to leave Medellin, fly into Miami and smuggle in about 250K worth of cocaine in their bras. Um, and they hide out at this dingy hotel with an empty pool. I was like, how can you do my wife, Carol G, like that and have her like bask in the sun and the pool doesn't even have water? Like the injustice. <laughs> but I was like, it's okay. She's acting. And also side note, I feel like Sofia Vergara is probably from Bogota. She does not have a FISA accent. Does not even, I don't feel like she even tries to play the Medellin accent at all. And then Carol G walks up in her Paisa accent and it's like, yeah, that's how everybody should be talking because Carol G is actually from there. Because I remember, she doesn't have a lot of lines, but one of the first things she said when she's about to take the cocaine out of her bra, like all the women are, are coming to the hotel to, to get the cocaine out. Um, and she's like, a que venimos pues. <laughs> and I just, I love her accent so much. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the sex workers, I feel like so far have been a, portrayed in a more interesting, empowered, fun light than the Latina who is doing quote unquote, the, the right thing, having the stereotypical nine to five job, but she deals with a lot of sexism. That's, that's just so far speaking as the portrayal of this, because we don't know the, the safety issues that the sex workers have gone through, but I just thought it was a refreshing portrayal of empowered sex workers, like really helping this boss bring in so much cocaine from Colombia, um, which I, I would not be able to do that. I would not be able to like people smuggle gummies and stuff from the US to Mexico or microdose mushrooms. No, I'm not. I can't do that. I have way too much anxiety to even think about doing that, so, but much less cocaine, like in bras, dang. And I think to wrap this kind of summary up that I've been having a lot of fun with is the, the final takeaway. I was actually thinking about this one the most. And then I was like, what other cool shit can I talk about? And I rattled off my list. But there comes a point in which the narcos, even the narcos from Colombia, start gaining wind of what Griselda is doing. They're like, oh, shit, it's popping um she's got carol g over there working for her like they're getting the rich white people to taste the cocaine or snort the cocaine or whatever you do cut the cocaine i don't know <laughs> and so they fly her out to an island in the bahamas where they base the narcos basically have an island full of like cocaine where they have a private airstrip where they can just like send out all the cocaine and they basically are like, Griselda, you've been doing the most. Um, you can calm down now. We're going to pay you $15 million if you sit down and stop doing this, basically. You want to do that? And Griselda's like, fuck y'all. <laughs> That's nothing. That This is nothing compared to the return on the investment that I could be making if I just stay in the game. And that's another recurring theme, her persistence, her like, fuck y'all, y'all continue to undervalue me. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to recruit 
the men that I can strategically use on my side, but it's mostly women are the ones running my operation in our own subversive ways. And my non-binary ass just loves subverting anything and flipping gender roles and flipping anything on its head, which is why I think I like this show so far so much. So she's like, fuck y'all, 15 mil ain't nothing. And I'm like, oh my God, in 1978, 15 million is probably worth like 30 million today. Griselda, my money coach self, was like, oh my God, Griselda, you could literally buy a mansion because Florida's cheap now. Imagine how cheap buying a mansion in Florida would have been in 1978. You could buy your mansion, send your kids off, to college or gap year or whatever they want to do. And you can invest a majority of that money in the stock market, in low cost index funds. And that money would eventually turn to $150 million. And you could just do so much more with that money without having to get shot, get punched in the stomach. You won't have to deal with any more of these condescending ass men who keep telling you you're a housewife and you won't have to kill anybody and you won't have to hire anybody to kill anybody. Like how cool would that be? But it was 1978. Investing wasn't accessible as it is now. Um, I wasn't around then to tell her she could calm down and start her healing journey and regulate her nervous system and like dance it out too bad. If I was there, this is what I would have told her. But that is what I like to call the, the greedy investor syndrome. And her friend, Carmen, who had also lived in this life, who was the one who housed Griselda, Griselda lived with Carmen, was splitting that bedroom with all her, her sons. And when Carmen found out that Griselda was getting back into the cocaine-ish, Carmen was like, no, nah, I have a travel agency. I'm trying to do the honorable American thing. Um, you're fired because she was trying to help her out for a bit. And Griselda was like, we've had six clients all week. I need money. I need to buy a house. I have three kids. Like, I can't do this with this travel agency and money. I'm sorry. And then Carmen was like, it's just going to be a little bit. Iquieres más. Iquieres más. Iquieres más. And that is the greedy investor syndrome, where you get a taste of something, get a taste of making quick, easy money. Yes, Carmen setting healthy boundaries, right? <laughs> Carmen is the vibe, even though she like gets on the, the Griselda train later. But at first, she's like, just think about it. Take a second, because vas a querer más y más y más. And Griselda's like, I don't care. I want it all. I'm in survival. I'm in scarcity because I have kids. So Griselda was in that scarcity survival mode that we see even when she was offered $15 million that she could have just invested. She was still in that like, no, quiero más y más y más. And that greedy investor syndrome is what has fucked me over as a former licensed stockbroker who has helped people invest millions of dollars. And I know that the most stable way to grow your money is investing long-term in those boring, low-cost index funds that invest in Apple and Google. I too have made the mistake of investing in companies I had no business investing in. Like one company was called Sorrento that ended up going bankrupt because it was popping in 2020, but what wasn't popping? Even Bitcoin was popping in 2020. And I held on to it for way too long thinking that I would just get lucky and uh, that there's something special about me and nothing bad will happen to me. And lo and behold, I ended up losing 
$5,000 this year when I finally decided to part ways with this stock and had gone bankrupt and I sold it at a loss, which side note, rich people moves that will still lower my tax burden. So even when you're losing, you can end up winning. But would I do this again? Hell no. I've learned my lesson, but that is just typical greedy investor syndrome. And that is a big takeaway. Like if you're offered a lump sum, a settlement, if you inherit money, don't fuck it up by wanting to just like convert that into more quickly. That's a get rich quick scheme. And it's either going to cost you your mental health or in Griselda's case, the lives of innocent people and her mental health too. Um, and she didn't have to do this, but she was addicted to the power play, to the life. It wasn't about the money at this point. It was about her wanting power and wanting to prove herself in this male dominated space of these men who kept saying, let me do the talking. I want to be the face of this narco group. You'll be on the side, even though she had the brains for it. These men wanted the, the power. They wanted the appearance of the power. And that really fucked with her because she was like, I've been more through more than any of y'all combined. I deserve this. But she sought out that external validation from, from the power, from the money too. So that was, yeah, greedy investor syndrome. She could have just calmed down, taken that $15 million and invested in low cost index funds. Wouldn't have even had to hire a financial advisor. I would have just been like, let's put this money here. We want your emergency fund. We're going to buy your house. Like we're going to stay debt free and just invest this money in low cost index funds. And then you can go to Zumba class and travel the world with your boys. And so you won't have to like kill anybody. So yeah, those have been the money coaching commentary takeaways that also have to do with business coaching and entrepreneurship. There's a lot of interesting parallels that I've seen when it comes to investing, having a, your own business. And I love the gender fuckery of this all. And yeah, I hope that Carol G, we see more of her because she's really the reason why I got into this. Um, but I know it's like her acting debut. She may be nervous, but I hope that we see more of her lusciousness. Um, yeah. So this has been a lot of fun. I've been wanting to do like these kinds of commentaries on a lot of shows. And I'm, I'm glad that I finally did it. And I'm excited to see what comes up next. The show hasn't been as violent as I was afraid of, but I don't know. We're only three episodes in. And whenever I sense the violence is being prolonged, I like do the click on the fast forward 10 seconds thing and keep going. <laughs> so that is how my highly sensitive, empathetic self gets through these violent movies. <laughs> That's the secret. And a lot of regulating my nervous system afterward because your brain often doesn't know the difference between violence that happens in real life and violence that happens on screen. So it's important to have that self-care uh, routine when you are exposing yourself to just like violent violence, period. Um, yeah. So on that note, I will close out this podcast slash IG live that I did and invite you to work one-on-one -on -one with me. I am taking one-on-one -on -one money coaching clients. I love helping my clients with self-care, with getting more massages, with using their money to help themselves and help others. 
So if you're interested in making money moves as the year is starting, I want to meet with you and talk with you and help you on your money and life goals. So you can book a call to chat with me to learn about what coaching would look like if you worked with me. You can book that call at the link in my bio. And if you like this episode, feel free to share, tag me on Instagram. Please review my podcast on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much for, for your support. And yeah, keep building wealth. Talk to you later. Bye. The information contained in the Unicorn Millionaire podcast is provided for general informational use only. Your purchase, download, and use of this material does not constitute a client relationship. The views expressed by the Unicorn Millionaire podcast hosts and guests are not intended to constitute accountant, legal, tax certified financial planner, stock advisor, or other professional advice. Users of this podcast material should not act upon this information. Users of this podcast material should do their own due diligence by independently verifying all information, products, and services mentioned with their own qualified professionals before making any decisions. We assume no responsibility for information contained in the Unicorn Millionaire podcast and disclaim all liability with respect to errors, inaccuracies, omissions, misleading, or defamatory statements. Users of this podcast accept and understand the terms of the disclaimer.